right, it is 10 a.m., so we will go ahead and get started. Good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you're joining us from. Welcome to this talk sponsored by the Institute of World Politics. Uh, for those of you that are new here, IWP is a graduate school of national security, intelligence, and international affairs. We offer a doctoral program, seven master's degree programs, including two that are online, and 18 certificates of graduate study. If you are at all interested in learning more about us, please feel free to visit iwp.edu. To support the work of IWP, uh, please, feel, please feel free to visit iwp.edu backslash donate. Today, we'll be hearing from Dr. Norman Bailey, who will discuss the economic situation in the MENA region. This lecture is part of a series on uh, the MENA region, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So this is part five. Uh, a little bit about Dr. Bailey. Uh, he's an adjunct professor of economics and national security at IWP and a professor of economic statecraft at the Galilee International Management Institute. Dr. Bailey was a senior staff member of the National Security Council during the Reagan administration and of the Office of the Director of National Intelligence during the George W. Bush administration. If you are joining us here on Zoom this morning, uh, please send in your questions via the Q&A function. And for those of you joining us on our live stream on Facebook, Feel free to add any questions in the comment section. Uh, with that, please welcome Dr. Bailey. Thank you very much, Sean, and welcome everyone to the fifth and the sixth lecture series on the MENA region. As usual, I'm going to start with a very brief review of the MENA region for the benefit of any of you who may not have attended earlier, after which I will talk about some of the events that have taken place in the MENA region um, since uh, last month's uh, lecture. And then we'll move into, uh, we'll, if, if there are no, uh, after uh, some, some uh, questions and uh, comments about that, if there are any, we'll move into the main topic of today's uh, lecture, the economic situation in the MENA region today. Okay, uh, the MENA region, Middle East, North Africa, uh, extends from uh, Morocco in the west all the way to Iran in the east and is uh, 18 countries in all. Uh, of those 18 countries, um, 15 are predominantly Arab or almost, in many cases almost completely Arab. Uh, the exceptions are Israel, which is Jewish, um, majority Jewish, uh, Turkey and Iran. A majority of the um, countries of the MENA region, as a matter of fact, all but one, are predominantly um, uh, Muslim countries. Uh, the one exception is, of course, uh, Israel, which is predominantly a Jewish country. Uh, there are uh, large ethnic uh, groups in the uh, MENA region that don't have a country of their own, of which the most important are the Kurds uh, who live in uh, uh, Iran, Iraq, uh, Syria, uh, predominantly, and uh, the Berbers uh, uh, who live in uh, North Africa, uh, in the uh, South Saharan region, and uh, were the descendants of the original inhabitants of uh, uh, the uh, region before the Arabs uh, conquered it uh, in uh, the seventh century CE. Uh, the um, Kurds and the Berbers are both uh, uh, Sunni Muslims. And having said that uh, 
uh, all but one of the um, countries in the MENA region, uh, predominantly Muslim. Uh, I must uh, uh, state a very important factor, and that is that the Muslims are divided between the variety of Islam and the Shia uh, variety of Islam, uh, which cordially hate each other and consider each other to be heretics. Uh, Iran is the principal Shia country, uh, and, but there are many Shia also in uh, Iraq, which is a majority Shia, uh, in Bahrain, which is a majority Shia, uh, also in uh, Syria and in Lebanon. Um, and uh, these, there are also substantial uh, Christian communities in uh, Egypt, about uh, 10 million uh, Christians in, in Egypt, and a substantial community of Christians in uh, Lebanon. Uh, in the rest of the MENA region, uh, the, uh, the Christian religion has just about been uh, eliminated. Okay. Events since our last uh, talk in um, August, uh, there are many and very significant ones. Uh, I'm going to start with the situation in Iraq. There was a, an election in Iraq. And I have to say that uh, Iraq is one of the few countries in the Middle East where the elections are free and fair. Uh, and it resulted in, a, in the largest uh, segment of the um, Iraqi parliament uh, being dominated by uh, the Sadristas, that are the, the uh, Shia followers of um, Muqtad al-Sadr, who is a very important Shia leader, but who is anti-Iran. Uh, he is uh, in favor of the Shia of, uh, of Iraq being entirely separate from the Shia of Iran. Uh, however, uh, the pro-Iranian Shia parties uh, managed to get the Iraqi uh, Supreme Court uh, to declare that in order to form a government, uh, al-Sadr had to have two-thirds majority uh, in, the, uh, in the parliament. Uh, this was impossible. Uh, as a result of this, he withdrew his members of parliament, and he withdrew from politics. Following which, uh, his followers went out on the streets rioting, but he soon put a stop to that. And the current situation is as a result of this, Iraq is unable to form a uh, government uh, so that it's a temporary uh, ad hoc government that's ruling Iraq at the present time. This is very serious. Uh, because Iraq is a uh, very much of a linchpin uh, in the Middle East. Uh, this is something that uh, needs to be followed very closely and is a very dangerous situation. Secondly, uh, much more recently, uh, the, the death of a Kurdish woman in Iran um, uh, as a result of her being uh, arrested uh, uh, and put into police custody because she was not wearing a head uh, covering. Uh, the death of this woman in police custody has led to a situation, uh, this just happened a few days ago, and it has led to a situation of massive protests 
uh, not just in the Kurdish region, but also in the rest of Iran. And uh, there are uh, violent protests and the demonstrations uh, throughout the country at the present time. And this leads me to make an observation that I have made before in this series, but it, uh, it behooves all of us to, to remember it. And that is that uh, Iran, only about half of the, of the population of Iran are ethnic Persians. The rest are a, a variety of minorities who put together make up about 50% of the population of the country. These are the Kurds, which we just mentioned, the Azeris, who are the people who of the country of Azerbaijan, <clears throat> um, Sunni Arabs, uh, and uh, uh, the uh, Baluchis, who are in the uh, southeast of the country. Um, put it all together, uh, they make up about 50% of the population, and they all cordially, or the vast majority of them, cordially hate the uh, current uh, government in Iran. Uh, and uh, so that uh, there is constant unrest um, and uh, acts of terrorism and so on, anti-government, uh, both in the Baluchi region, region in the Arab region, and um, in the Kurdish region, not so much in the Azeri region. Uh, at any rate, this is something that needs to be followed very carefully uh, because uh, it is it can have eventually the possibility of destabilizing the Iranian government. And that uh, brings uh, the situation that hopefully uh, the Western countries are, are preparing for. And, uh, and that is uh, if, if the, uh, the regime should change in Iran, uh, what would come after and what can uh, the Western world do about it? Um, this is a very, very important uh, situation. Now, a couple of things that just happened within the last day or two. Uh, first of all, the Saudi press agency has uh, issued uh, an announcement uh, that um, due to the intervention of the crown prince, uh, Iraq, uh, in Ukraine and Russia have um, uh, had had a prisoner exchange. Uh, and uh, this uh, is because, quoting the Arab uh, agency, uh, because of the Crown Prince's uh, vast concern for uh, human rights. And uh, in connection with that, <clears throat> uh, we should also uh, point out that there have been some uh, interesting other developments in uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia, which we will be talking about in a minute. The other thing that, that happened very recently and within the last couple of years is that uh, at the, on the occasion of the celebration of uh, uh, the Day of Independence of uh, Bahrain from uh, Great Britain, uh, the Iranians uh, picked this occasion to uh, uh, reestablish their claim to Bahrain. Uh, Bahrain, of course, is an island uh, off the Saudi coast in the uh, Persian Gulf or the Arabian Gulf, if, uh, if you prefer. Uh, and uh, it has for centuries been claimed by Iran. And um, uh, in 1971, the government of the Shah uh, recognized the independence of Bahrain 
but uh, the government put in place by uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini, and which is still in power in Tehran, uh, has uh, renounced that recognition of the Bahraini independence and is now uh, bringing the case the situation uh, up again. And uh, coupled with uh, Raisi's, uh, the president of Iran's extremely um, uh, negative and ag aggressive address to the uh, uh, UN National uh, General Assembly meeting just the other day, uh, it indicates that uh, the Iranian uh, government uh, may be being uh, more aggressive internationally in order to draw the attention uh, of uh, the people of Iran away from the uh, domestic situation. Uh, that would uh, hardly be something that uh, uh, is uh, uh, unheard of. At any rate, uh, the last thing I want to, to mention is a very interesting uh, development uh, in terms of uh, Arab uh, journalism. Uh, by and large, Arab journalism has traditionally been anti-West, anti-Israel, and pro-Palestinian. However, uh, partially, I'm sure, as a result of, uh, of the Abraham Accords, which was the topic of uh, one of our uh, talks in this series, uh, there has been quite a change in uh, the uh, in Arab journalism. Uh, and uh, in uh, a recent uh, issue of the Jerusalem Post magazine, uh, which every week has a section called uh, Hot Off the Arab Press, uh, they, they, it was very interesting. It's uh, just just this past uh, Friday, this came out. Um, in a recent issue, uh, an article from a Kuwaiti publication was entitled, Israel has no alternative to escalation. Uh, this was referring to the Israeli raids on Iranian facilities at the Aleppo airport in Syria. And that is something that a couple of years ago would be unthinkable. Uh, and uh, the article went on to explain why the Israelis were perfectly justified in, uh, in raiding the Aleppo airport and uh, uh, destroying these facilities and so on. Another article from Egypt uh, I found very amusing about the change in government in England and the death of the queen. Uh, and I quote from this article, have we, heard, have we learned and benefited from the institutions left behind by the Brits in Egypt? I don't think so. I know that the Indians, who are also subjected to British occupation, learned three important things from the English. The English language, administration, and democracy. So what have we learned? Unquote. And finally, a, an article from uh, the Saudi press extolling the freedom of the press, which uh, of course does not exist in Saudi Arabia, which uh, makes it somewhat ironic, uh, but none of these would have been published had approved and then none of them would have been written uh, three or four years ago. It simply would have been uh, impossible and so on. Uh, so at this point, uh, let me uh, pause and uh, 
uh, find out from Sean if there are any uh, questions or uh, comments about what I've said so far. They're all good. No questions Sean? or comments so far. Okay. In that case, we will move into the main topic of uh, our talk today, which is the economic situation in the MENA region. First, a little background. For 400 years until the early 20th century, the entire region, with the exception of Morocco, Oman, and Iran, was ruled by the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire was not noted for being uh, progressive in any way, including the economic. And uh, the whole region was a backwater from the economic standpoint. Uh, a few exceptions uh, that were uh, prized by the uh, rest of the countries in the world, such as uh, Persian rugs and uh, pistachios, um, uh, uh, long staple cotton in, from Egypt. But by and large, uh, the, the whole region was, was stagnant. Uh, and uh, as, as a result of the, the Ottoman uh, domination. Um, when these countries uh, first uh, came under a Western domination as, as mandates, uh, or uh, later when they became independent, uh, they benefited from uh, the uh, change in the um, uh, the world's energy situation, uh, which meant that uh, the oil and gas fines uh, that took place in the MENA region, particularly in the Middle East, but also in North Africa to a substantial extent, uh, uh, caused a, a very, very interesting, uh, very significant uh, and a change in the um, on the, uh, sit the economic situation of the entire area. Uh, those countries with oil and gas reserves became wealthy, uh, while most of the others stagnated, continued to stagnate, I should say. Uh, there was a change, one change in uh, the post-World War II situation when Israel entered the scene and became a major high-tech center, uh, which is the basis of its prosperity. Uh, along with the recent discovery and exploitation of offshore gas fields. More recently, the Ukraine war has affected the region favorably with the increase in energy prices and negatively with the increase in grain prices, especially wheat. Uh, the entire region is, uh, uh, has excess energy sources and has, uh, is deficient in uh, grain production. Uh, so that uh, the uh, Ukraine war uh, is, has both good and bad aspects from the standpoint of, uh, of uh, the economic situation. I'm going to um, rank the uh, MENA countries in, in, uh, in, a, in a sort of in a, in a way uh, uh, of, of ranking them in terms of whether they're upper class, middle class, lower class, or uh, uh, extreme poverty. Um, I'm going to call the MENA countries upper class. 
that have a per capita GDP, gross domestic product, over 50,000 US dollars. And these are Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia. It will not, uh, it will not escape the attention of you that every one of these countries uh, is rich in, in oil and gas reserves, and they're all in the Arabian Peninsula. This is uh, the the this is the financial upper class of the of the MENA region. The middle class, with a per capita GDP between twenty thousand dollars and fifty thousand dollars, are Israel, Iran, Oman, and Turkey. Now, of those four countries, uh, Israel and Oman are doing well. Iran and Turkey are doing poorly, and Iran, due to uh, the sanctions and the bad economic management, uh, is close to um, falling into the lower class. The lower class of uh, the MENA region countries with per capita GDP less than $20,000 are um, Iraq, Lebanon, Jordan, Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, and Egypt. I uh, will not have escaped your attention that, that every one of the North African Maghreb countries, Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria, and, and uh, Libya, are uh, uh, either in this category or even worse in the case of Libya. Um, the, the countries that are in extreme poverty, and in many cases uh, there's lacking of data, uh, are Libya, Syria, and Yemen. Uh, Lebanon, incidentally, is in, in imminent danger of falling into this extreme poverty situation. Uh, which is is a great tragedy because uh, Lebanon was one of the wealthiest countries in the Middle East for until uh, it fell uh, uh, to uh, um, Syrian occupation for almost 20 years and uh, then uh, being occupied by Hezbollah, a, uh, a terrorist organization which for all practical purposes dominates the country completely at this point. <clears throat> uh, Libya is a unique situation because Libya is actually essentially now two countries, Eastern Libya and Western Libya. And um, because they are, they have oil, uh, it is uh, fairly well off in comparison to the other. Uh, extreme poverty countries, uh, and so on. And uh, probably, if it were united, uh, it would uh, it would uh, uh, come come up to the uh, to the uh, lower class uh, and join its uh, Maghreb uh, 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 other uh, colleagues, and so on. Okay, the MENA region today in economic terms. According to World Bank estimates, and all my the estimates that I'm going to be talking about uh, from now on are World Bank uh, GDP estimates. According to the World Bank estimates, 
the region as a whole will grow by 5.2% in 2022. However, 11 of the MENA countries out of 18 may not exceed, even if they achieve this 5.2% or more, may not exceed their GDP levels prior to the COVID pandemic. In other words, their, 2020, their end of 2022 GDP level might not even be as great as it was in 2019. Social instability and political conflicts are holding back much of the region, uh, as well as the, the pandemic, uh, which also had a very serious effect on most of the region. Again, as uh, was the case in the later 20th century, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer uh, because of the uh, increase in oil gas prices uh, as a result of the Ukraine war. The exceptions are Lebanon, which is now a middle-class country, which will soon fall into lower-class status, uh, as I've already mentioned. Some of the richer countries are busily diversifying their economies against the day when oil and gas will no longer be as important. In this regard, we should note the contribution of the Abraham Accords between Israel and certain of the Arab countries, namely uh, Bahrain, uh, the UAE, and uh, Morocco, uh, in, in, in helping them to diversify their economies uh, and uh, this is certainly uh, proven to be highly successful so far with many deals uh, being uh, made between uh, the uh, Israeli government and uh, Israeli companies and um, uh, and the uh, countries of the uh, of the Abraham Accords. Uh, okay, let's talk a bit then about. Um, the various uh, MENA countries. And we'll start in the West and move East. Morocco. Despite the fact that Morocco is one of the MENA countries that has considerable degree of social stability and a semi-democratic political situation, the outlook is murky. Growth is slow because of drought, because of a high level of debt, 80% of GDP, and a negative commercial balance. Uh, Morocco is collaborating with the Israeli government and Israeli companies due to the Abraham Accord with Israel and may help the situation. Uh, nevertheless, this uh, uh, situation uh, should be looked at very carefully uh, because. Uh, it is not a wealthy country. Nevertheless, as I pointed out, uh, it, is, uh, it has a relatively high level of social stability and a semi-democratic uh, political system. Uh, and, uh, and consequently, uh, the, the future may be quite rosy if they uh, succeed in diversifying their economy and going into new areas. Okay, next door, Algeria. Algeria is a stable dictatorship. 
And uh, there has been little internal dissension in recent years. The economic outlet is fairly good because of oil and gas prices, despite uh, the situation of drought. Uh, it's very difficult to predict anything about Algeria because it is uh, very, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a dictatorial country. It is uh, very, anti-Israeli, for example. Um, it is not, however, subject to um, great uh, social instability. The uh, uh, terrorist organizations are not uh, involved uh, to any great extent in, in Algeria. And as I say, the economic outlet, uh, outlook is, is fairly good, uh, even though uh, Algeria imports a great deal of, uh, of its grains. Tunisia. Tunisia is a very sad situation because following the so-called Arab Spring uh, in 2011, which turned in uh, 2011, which turned into uh, the Arab nightmare in most of the area, um, Tunisia was one of the very few countries along with Iraq that actually developed a uh, uh, fairly democratic uh, political system. That has now changed as of last year uh, with the uh, prime minister, um, uh, the president, I'm sorry, um, uh, enacting uh, as the dictator of the country. Uh, according to the World Bank, uh, Tunisia is expected to grow by 3%, which will not bring the economy back to the 2019 level. The social and political backsliding uh, and the and uh, is a very serious situation. And since it is in our categories and a lower class country, uh, there is the possibility of Tunisia degenerating into a failed state status. And unlike Algeria, there is considerable opposition to the, uh, the new dictatorship in, in Tunisia, and that could uh, result in, in extreme social instability. <clears throat> We've already mentioned uh, Libya. If the current ceasefire holds between the western and eastern halves of the country, the outlook for growth is fairly good because of oil prices, despite the civil war that has been uh, raging in the country for the last several years, uh, balanced uh, by the negative effect of rising prices for imported wheat due to the Ukraine war. If the ceasefire does not hold, uh, the country will revert to failed state status like uh, the other failed states in, in the MENA region, um, uh, Lebanon and uh, Syria and Yemen. Uh, it, again, uh, prediction is very difficult. It's, it's unlikely that the ceasefire will hold forever, uh, in which case you really are de dealing with two different countries. Uh, one of which has international recognition, the other doesn't, but it also has the support of Egypt, which is important. Uh, so that prediction becomes almost impossible. We come to Egypt. Uh, the uh, World Bank forecasts 5.5% uh, GDP growth in 2022. Uh, Egypt is a, an extremely complex country in every, from every standpoint. 
It is certainly one of the uh, four or five most important countries in the MENA region. It has the largest population in the region and few resources. Uh, now that's changed somewhat recently because of the discovery of natural gas offshore, uh, and that will help somewhat. And of course, uh, the uh, revenues from the Suez Canal help. Uh, so you could consider that a natural resource if you want to. Uh, but other than that, it has a very large population of over 100 million people. Uh, and it has uh, the problem now of uh, the high price of grains because of the Ukraine war. Uh, socially and politically, um, it has a relatively benign dictatorship and a fairly high degree of social stability, although uh, we need not, I said a fairly high degree of social stability because there's still important opposition to the uh, military dictatorship from uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, which has for the last several decades uh, been uh, significant in uh, a significant force in Egyptian politics, uh, which is uh, entirely uh, against the uh, dictatorship. And of course, uh, the dictatorship uh, took power by overthrowing a uh, democratically elected government of the Muslim Brotherhood. So again, even if, if they achieve a 5.5% GDP growth in 2022, which frankly sounds optimistic to me, uh, uh, Egypt is, as uh, always, is a highly sub suspect country from the standpoint of its its future uh, possibilities in the political, social, and the economic sense, and it needs to be followed very, very carefully. Okay, Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. I'm going to lump them together. Um, with one exception, Oman. The World Bank forecast between four and six percent growth uh, for the various countries of of, uh, of the Gulf. Um, the Gulf countries have low to non-existent debt, low unemployment. In fact, in in terms of the citizens of the country, in most cases, no unemployment uh, uh, because. Uh, uh, a lot of the uh, the work is done in these countries by uh, immigrants from uh, Africa and, uh, and Asia. Um, there is a conscious effort led by uh, the United Arab Emirates, particularly, and uh, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia to diversify into high-tech uh, uh, areas and other industrial areas. And uh, as a result of all of this, and uh, and the Abraham Accords with uh, Bahrain and and uh, and UAE being members of uh, the Abraham Accords, uh, and with uh, the Saudis expected to join at some point, um, the uh, outlook for the Gulf uh, is very positive, unless of course the conflict with Iran heats up, and that is is of course one of the main reasons for the Abraham Accords, along with the uh, desire for diversification uh, with uh, the relative uh, reduction in the American presence in the Middle East. Uh, these countries are in, in many cases looking towards Israel for 
military cooperation with reference to standing up to uh, um, to uh, Iran. Okay, um, in the in the Persian Gulf, uh, we can talk about uh, Yemen. I'm not the Persian Gulf. I'm sorry. In uh, the Arabian Peninsula, we can talk about Yemen, which is a totally different situation. Uh, and it's uh, Yemen is a economic, political, and social disaster area. Uh, the there the, there 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 is no statistical data because there's no functioning uh, statistical agency in Yemen. Uh, but the situation is undoubtedly the economic situation is undoubtedly terrible. Uh, and it certainly is in the extreme poverty uh, situation uh, um, without uh, without uh, any doubt uh, whatsoever. Uh, okay, um, moving on then to um, north of the uh, Arabian Peninsula. Uh, we can start with uh, uh, Israel. Um, Israel uh, is estimated by the World Bank to have 4.8% growth. Um, it is in an excellent trade, financial, and unemployment situation. There are, however, uh, important social divisions reflected in an ongoing political stalemate. And uh, they, the situation is dangerous. Uh, the, the fact that you have uh, a large segment of the population that, that does not really participate in Israeli society, some of it are the Muslim Arabs, or a substantial portion of the Muslim Arab. Some of it are the extreme Orthodox uh, Jewish uh, population, and, and there is also a a, a recent uh, uh, advance in uh, the extreme uh, right in in in, in Israel, and uh, it's had six uh, elections in the last two years. And it's kind of five elections, and then the sixth is coming up uh, in November. It may again uh, result in in um, no uh, no coalition being able to form a government. In which case, there'll be a seventh election six months later. Um, and if there there is a can be, it might very well be formed by uh, the the rightists, including the extreme rightists. And that would uh, lead to a very difficult uh, political and social situation, both internally and in terms of Israeli uh, foreign policy. So although the economic situation is excellent, uh, the, the social and political situation is highly questionable. Okay, uh, Jordan. Uh, the World Bank uh, forecasts uh, GDP, uh, per capita GDP growth, at 2.1%. Um, Jordan has relatively low unemployment, and it has a die high debt ratio and a negative commercial balance. Uh, it, it depends on Israel for electricity and water. Uh, it's essentially a poor country with serious and social and serious social and potentially political problems. Uh, the uh, monarchy is supported by the Bedouin population. But a majority of the population is of Palestinian origin, and uh, basically, I would say that the that the Jordanian outlook is is rather poor. Um, I'm I'm quite pessimistic about uh, the future of Jordan. 
And uh, that is very dangerous because that would mean that uh, uh, the uh, terrorist uh, organizations could very well uh, penetrate Jordan and then uh, take control of large areas of the country. And that would make uh, uh, Israel's situation more difficult than it is already with Hamas in Gaza and uh, Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon to have uh, a serious uh, 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 terrorist uh, presence in Jordan would be would uh, make another front for the Israeli Defense Forces to have to uh, to try to deal with. Uh, Jordan is something that that needs to be followed very very carefully. Um, all right, Lebanon. Lebanon is a basket case. Um, the World Bank forecast is minus six and a half percent growth um, in 2022. Uh, and that's not growth, of course, it's decline. Uh, it is socially and politically extremely unstable. It is dominated politically by the Iranian proxy terrorist group Hezbollah. Uh, the, the, uh, there was a, a, a tremendous explosion in, in Beirut uh, uh, port uh, a couple of years ago, and, uh, uh, the, and nothing's been done about that either in terms of identifying um, who was responsible for it or in terms of rebuilding uh, for a country that, was so, that is so dependent on, on commerce. This is a disaster. Uh, and uh, a country that uh, in any case was divided between Shia and uh, Sunni Muslims and a substantial uh, Christian uh, population, as well as a large Druze population. Uh, the Druze are Arabs, but they, they are not Muslims. Um, uh, this is uh, a group that uh, exists in, in several of the Middle Eastern countries. Uh, they, they're, they're not found in. in in uh, North Africa, uh, but uh, the, the situation was always divided uh, ethnically and religiously in Lebanon, and now the country is, is governed by terrorists. It, it survives as a result of Iranian uh, uh, support and international support, um, and uh, it is uh, certainly uh, in a state of extreme poverty. Syria is another basket case. There is a, and a, a situation of extreme poverty. There has now been an ongoing civil war for several years with participation by various terrorist groups, as well as uh, ethnic uh, uh, divisions with the, the Kurds, with the Sunni Muslims, the Shia Muslims who control the government, and uh, uh, foreign. Uh, Involvement, uh, which is, none of it is, is helpful, by particularly by Turkey, Russia, and Iran, as well as Israel, in terms of attacking um, Iranian uh, facilities in uh, in Syria. Uh, the, the Turks occupy various portions of uh, northern uh, Syria, and they support various groups uh, that are in in conflict with the, with the government in, in Damascus. Uh, the Russians have a naval and air base in, on the coast of Syria. Uh, they want to protect those. For the first time in history, 
uh, a Russian desire, which has been a, a goal of the of uh, the Russians for for centuries. Uh, they finally um, achieved that goal, but now they have to keep troops there uh, in order to protect it because of the civil war that that's been going going on. And uh, if they withdraw the the troops. Uh, this will put their uh, naval and air base in in, in danger, uh, and but of course uh, there there is a a desire to pull them down in order to uh, uh, increase uh, Russian uh, uh, troop levels in the the war with uh, with uh, with the Ukraine. Okay, Turkey. Uh, the uh, two, 2022 growth is estimated at 1.3% by the World Bank. There's high unemployment and poor trade and investment figures, and there is inflation bordering on hyperinflation. Turkey is a dictatorship masquerading as a democracy. The future is extremely uncertain. Uh, the, the dictator, uh, Erdogan, is is a a extremely unpredictable person, and uh, as a result, uh, today he wants to make friends with Israel. Tomorrow he's he's attacking Israel. Today he wants to make friends with Iran. Tomorrow he's attacking Iran. Uh, the same thing is true right now. He's on a charm crusade, uh, and uh, Israel and uh, Turkey have reestablished diplomatic relations, uh, but. Um, uh, the the economic situation is terrible. Uh, the uh, the uh, Turkey, which is, is not a not typically a poor country, uh, is is uh, uh, has a very bad economic situation, primarily due to uh, the government's very bad uh, uh, economic policies, which which continue. Um, among other things, the the central bank has been forced. To maintain very low interest rates, which is, of course, given the hyperinflation, a very bad policy. <clears throat> Iraq. The World Bank estimated uh, Iraqi growth to be for two, 20, 2022 primarily because of the uh, oil and gas price uh, situation at almost 9%. Uh, that was prior, however, to the current political impasse. Uh, there is social, ethnic, and political unrest and instability. Despite all of that, <laughs> Iraq has been able to maintain a semi-democratic political system, and this uh, similar to uh, Morocco. Uh, there is constant meddling by uh, Iran uh, through its uh, proxy uh, terrorist groups in uh, in uh, Iraq. Uh, the northern uh, area of the country is a Kurdish um, autonomous region. <coughs> the western part of the country is a Sunni Muslim. <coughs> but uh, if the, if the anti-Iranian uh, Shia Muslims uh, party had been uh, enabled to, to form a government, uh, the outlook would have been rather good. Uh, at the present situation, it's not going to be anywhere near 9% economic growth in 2022, uh, but uh, it probably will be uh, positive economic growth because of the uh, oil price of oil and gas, uh, but uh, the political and social situation is extremely questionable. 
And then we come to Iran at the extreme east of the, of the MENA region. <clears throat> the World Bank has no estimate of growth for 2022 because of the sanctions and because of lack of data. Uh, much of, the, of Iranians' exports, for example, are not reported uh, because of, of sanction uh, evasion. It is the most repressive dictatorship in the MENA region with a great deal of social and ethnic unrest. The future of Iran is highly uncertain. And why the United States and the government is, keeps trying to come to a so-called deal with Iran is, is absolutely incomprehensible, uh, but uh, it hasn't given up yet on, uh, for some reason, which is also fairly incomprehensible. Uh, the Iranians have not accepted this gift that, that the U.S. administration is uh, trying to, to give it. Uh, but it's also possible that after following the American elections, uh, the, uh, they, they will come to some kind of agreement, which God forbid. But in any case, uh, the future of, of the Iranian regime is, is uncertain. Um, and of course, Iran uh, has the, the, the imminent possibility of becoming a nuclear uh, power, which uh, would, of course, uh, be a uh, very, very uh, dangerous situation. Um, it should be pointed out, however, before everybody uh, panics, uh, in case it does manage to take power, uh, to, to uh, develop, I'm sorry, to develop a, uh, a nuclear capacity, that it will be uh, quite a long time before it has any substantial number of, of uh, weapons and uh, is able to, uh, del del to deliver them on target. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it will certainly uh, work on that. And uh, it will be also working on the miniaturization of, of its uh, nuclear capacity, which is uh, of ex an extreme danger, because then it could supply uh, miniaturized nuclear weapons to its proxies. Uh, in in the in the Middle East, uh, as well as its allies in the Middle East, such as the uh, Syrian government. Um, at any rate, it's a it's a very mixed situation. Oh, in okay. In summary, then uh, the outlook for the economic outlook for the MENA region is highly mixed. Very hopeful signs in the Gulf, uh, but backsliding in Tunisia, Iraq and Lebanon. No improvement in Syria, Yemen, or Libya, uh, which uh, are failed states or have been failed states in the case of Libya and probably will be again. Uh, the countries to, to watch in terms of, of what, what happens uh, and, and which are uh, questionable are uh, Morocco, Egypt, Iraq, Iran, Turkey, and Jordan. Uh, again, the um, economic situation in Israel is excellent. Uh, they have Israel has significant social and political problems. Okay, uh, Sean, let's see uh, what uh, questions and comments we may have. Uh, Dr. Billy, no questions so far, any of the Zoom or the Facebook. So I think we're good to keep going. Okay, in that case, I'm going to uh, mention 
a, uh, a very interesting study that uh, was done, published recently by uh, an institute in Princeton University <clears throat> that uh, studies the Arab countries, uh, all of the Arab countries, and in, in they include in in the Arab countries, some of the of the uh, African countries, such as Mauritania and Sudan, which I do not include uh, include in the in the MENA region. Um, this study, which was about the the popularity and influence of China versus the United States in the Arab world in which they concluded that, uh, that China, and, and this is done uh, based on surveys. They interview 23,000, at least they say they do, 23,000 people in the various Arab countries and draw their conclusions from, uh, from the results of these surveys. Um, that uh, China is uh, substantially uh, better thought of in the, the Arab countries than the United States. But this situation is uh, changing, um, not because of anything the U.S. is doing, but because of the of the uh, Uyghur situation in um, in China, where uh, China is uh, engaged in uh, what some people call a genocide uh, in the western region, which is um, occupied by a uh, a Muslim people, uh, and uh, this is also the fact that. Uh, that uh, many of the Arab countries have borrowed large amounts of money from from China as part of the road and and uh, and uh, attend, uh, um, uh, initiative of of China, uh, but uh, a lot of it uh, now there are, uh, the various countries are unable to repay, so uh, this is creating a certain degree of of uh, hostility and. The conclusion is that uh, that uh, China is losing popularity in the in the, the region, but the UN, U.S. is not uh, gaining much in terms of popularity. The big exception there uh, is uh, Morocco, incidentally. However, what I want to talk about is uh, something that uh, that the, the study talks about, although it has nothing to do with uh, China and the United States. Uh, it's, it's very strange uh, um, that all of a sudden, they, first of all, that they asked the, the questions and uh, they, they're devoting a part of, uh, of, uh, of the publication uh, to a subject that has nothing to do with uh, China and US, but which is very important from our standpoint. Uh, and that is uh, the uh, popularity of the Abraham Accords in the Arab countries. And I'm going to read from the report. There is broad rejection among ordinary citizens across MENA of the US-backed Abraham Accords and a broader peace deal with Israel. Although at most about a quarter of citizens in the region say they follow news on this issue, a great deal or fair amount, including just one in 10 in Tunisia, Palestine, they consider Palestine a country, Lebanon, Jordan, and Iraq. Uh, 
These peace agreements are widely rejected overall. In eight of the nine countries surveyed, fewer than one in five say they support normalization agreements with Israel, including fewer than one in 10 in Mauritania, Libya, uh, Palestine, uh, Jordan, and Egypt. Uh, overall, in no country does even close to a majority of citizens favor normalization with Israel, which means the U.S. is strongly associated with a highly unpopular policy within MENA. This negative association is likely to continue hurting the popular image of the U.S. in the majority of countries across MENA. They, they consider their, their, their area of study to be MENA, even though they leave out all the non-Arab countries. Uh, they don't include Israel, uh, Turkey, or, or uh, Iran uh, in their survey. Um, this I've, this is, is, is astonishing, an astonishing conclusion. Um, and I can only assume that it has something to do with the prejudices of the people who are doing uh, the research. Uh, because it is clearly not true. And uh, in terms of the popula uh, popularity of the Abraham Accords in the countries which have signed Abraham Accords with, with uh, Israel, uh, they are wildly popular. And uh, in some of the other countries, uh, such as Saudi Arabia, which everybody is has to join in an Abraham Accord with, uh, with uh, Israel, uh, in the next couple of years, uh, this will be um, uh, uh, also um, uh, has a great a high level of popularity. Uh, so this this amazing conclusion from a study by an institute in a highly prestigious um, American university is a prime example of the kind of misinformation and disinformation that is being uh, disseminated now uh, under the cover of academic research. Okay, Sean, any, any questions or comments? No, it does not look like it, Dr. Bailey, so I think we are uh, just about ready to wrap up. Okay, then I'll see everybody next month for the last in the series, in which will be a, a general summary of the situation in the Middle East, North Africa. Perfect. Thank you, everybody. And thank you, Dr. Bailey. Uh, if you guys have any questions or interested in attending uh, upcoming events, making gift to IWP, or applying to one of our graduate programs, please feel free to visit iwp.edu. Thank you again, Dr. Bailey. And thank you, everybody. Thank Hope you. you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you all for joining.